Blog Talk Radio. To dream the impossible dream To fight the unbeatable foe To bear with unbearable sorrow To run where the brave dare not go To right the unrightable wrong To love pure and chaste from afar To try when your arms are too weary To reach the unreachable star This is my quest To follow that star No matter how hopeless No matter how far To fight for the right Without question or pause To be willing to march into hell For a heavenly cause And I know if I'll only be true To this glorious quest That my heart will lie peaceful and calm When I'm laid to my rest Welcome to another edition of Repo Nerds, a spinoff of the Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches podcast. And I am the head huntress, and with me tonight is my co-host. We're bringing him right on air tonight because we got a lot to talk about, and we're probably the only two people in the world that want to talk about it, but we're going to fucking talk about it tonight. So please welcome to the show from Charleston, West Virginia. Steve Wandling, welcome, sir, to Repo Nerds. How you doing tonight? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm so just in basking in this moment, actually. I want this to be my entrance music whenever I walk into any situation. So thank you for this, this moment. Thank you. I'm doing fantastic as of now. Oh, that's great. Uh, do you know this version of Impossible Dream? It's familiar, but uh, not it's the, off. I couldn't tell you why. I'm giving credit because it's on air. Uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell version from the Broadway revival of Mamma La Mancha. Uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell is probably one of my favorite singers on the planet. I got to see him on Broadway live do Kiss Me Kate, which was off the chain. Oh, my God. Uh, so, um and this part was pretty much made for him. So, uh, have you ever seen uh, The Prince of Egypt? Yes, I have. Yes, I you know there's that, Yeah, cool. You know that one sequence, uh, Heaven's Eyes? It's like the one song and out song in the middle. It's really neat, beautiful song. It's about him yeah. being married. Same guy. That's it. All, yeah, all, okay, that's great. Yeah, you know, that's beautiful. And I thought 
this was an appropriate Perfect. intro music tonight because we are talking about an impossible dream that came to be. Took 27 years, um, in you know, over two decades, almost three, and we finally had a film. And what was awesome is that I was so excited about it, but nobody else knew. But on my way to work, I was texting Steve, and I was like, hey, I saw he was going to the new Terry Gilliam film tonight. I'm like, oh, so am I, date night. And he went, date night. And we went all, and we went to see The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Terry Gilliam's film. They had a special release of, uh, two weeks ago uh, on a Wednesday night, a fathom events of all things, Steve, right? Like like they yeah. do for the rip yes. tracks. Uh, you know, know, it was a thought, yeah. weird distribution, but it worked. They did enough that money that they did give it a tiny limited theatrical distribution deal. Then it's out in the theaters. If you want to catch it, you better do it now because I'm sure it's not going to be there <laughs> next week when Avengers comes in. Uh, you know, Ooh, uh, yeah. But, it's also available on VOD for people that don't want to get off their ass and go see a movie in the theater. Though you'll probably go see Avengers Endgame anyways. So, you know, might as well give a couple extra bucks to Terry Gilliam. Get warmed up before that. Please. Um, and this movie yeah. so deserves a review. I have not heard. Nobody on the Sexy Witches um, had seen it um, on our last episode, which was our Game of Thrones episode where we were doing a lot of crazy predictions. So have a listen. It's a silly, fun episode. Sound problems as usual, but it was still a silly fun episode. Um, and uh, tonight we're doing with Steve. Steve couldn't be with us for that episode, so he's here with me tonight to talk about the man who killed Don Quixote um, and also any first watches we have. And I went through Terry Gilliam's uh, catalog, Steve, and I mm-hmm. realized I had seen every single one of his movies. Bravo. I, I, I have that, actually that, cleared that's out. Impressive. It is. I mean, I even think I have holes in my Guillermo del. I know I have holes in my Guillermo del Toro, like watching. I haven't seen Crimson Peak all the way through. That's uh, right. You haven't seen Crimson Peak. Yeah, I keep falling asleep on it. Uh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> it's but, easy um, to do, admittedly. <laughs> but but um, <laughs> still, but Terry Gilliam movies, I had seen every one. I did find a couple of shorts I had never seen. So I watched one of those and a documentary he did on his cutout animation, which was totally awesome. So we'll talk about that too. And then Steve, you were assigned two first watches because you had a couple of missing holes in your, in your catalog. One you finished and one you're not quite finished with. And we'll talk a little bit about that too, because you've seen enough that I can tell about it without spoiling the end. Because I don't want to spoil the end to that one, because the ending is like every Terry Gilliam movie is always so spins off into a weird direction. <laughs> you know, it, it goes one way. So what films did, were you assigned for this episode of Repo Nerds, sir? Well, I was uh, just uh, first off, to, I think the reason I was assigned these is because I, like you, am a huge diehard Gilliam fan up front. I was assigned, therefore, Tideland from, uh, I think, 2005 and then U.S. distribution in 2006. And um, then uh, back going back to 88, I think, uh, The Adventures mm-hmm. of Baron Munchausen. I think if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, Munchausen, Munchausen. It depends on which version of the folktale, I guess. 
So, well, we'll take go. it either way. So it's potato, potato, Munchausen, Munchausen. Yeah. Uh, so, so I but like before Munchausen. we get, I like Munchausen too. It's got like a snap to it. Yeah. But, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. We'll go. Okay. <laughs> But before we get to that, let's go ahead and let's just jump into the new film because the new film, not many people have seen it. Uh, it got, I will throw up, Steve, a spoiler warning, but honestly, I don't think you can really spoil this movie. How could you? I, I could, don't know. I, don't, I, I can see, yeah, I can talk about it without, yeah. I mean, you can tell someone the plot, but that doesn't, that's irrelevant, right, in some ways, yeah, because right. it's not really about the plot, it's more about the performances. Um, it, it's yeah. definitely a Terry Gilliam film. Like, like, it, 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 like it, I mean, it is consistent on his shelf. Like, it, there's only one film that's out of place, and we'll talk about that later, because you made a point about saying that No Way Thailand is worse than that film, and that would be Brothers Grimm. Oh yeah, you know, but you know, yeah. I well, I have some. Uh, I like that film in some ways. In some ways, I like that film. But anyway, some things I like about it too. Yeah, there's something. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, if there are. <laughs> so let's get back are. to the man from who killed Don Quixote, which um, for people yeah. that don't know, I'm going to go ahead and give a little backstory, if I may, Steve. Yeah, if, please you know, do. and if and if you want to interject anything, please do so because because uh, I, 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 I enjoy story time. Okay, so Terry Gilliam has been trying to make a La Mancha type movie for years. Uh, he actually got funding and greenlit for a film. I forget, and he was shooting in Spain, I believe, right? Uh, in, in that movie, also. Um, so he flies to Spain, That's and right. he has a cast, including a very young height of his career, Johnny Depp, to play the lead. So, you know, he and all those people are on set. And, and at one point in the documentary, uh, he goes, yeah, I have all the actors, but no set, because all he has is some costumes and he doesn't have much else. Uh, he The film between horrible mismanagement on production, uh, acts mm. of God... <laughs> which just true acts of god uh, true acts of god yeah. and and just a bunch of other horrible things um his his uh dream of making la mancha film comes to a grinding halt. it uh, they shutter the sh- shoot i believe it was six days i didn't rewatch lost in la mancha for this but there is footage from that shoot and it's called lost in la mancha and it was made into a documentary and i highly recommend the documentary if you're into anything about filmmaking, watch it and watch yes. it this next right next to Fool Tilt Boogie, which is the documentary about making from dusk till dawn. You will learn everything now, you I have know not about filmmaking. That. Oh my god, it is so good. Full Tilt Boogie is really, really good. It is actually a real film and it's a really good deep dive into what it's like to be uh, an up-and-coming, inspiring, like, about-to-explode indie filmmaker, and they have union problems on set. They talk to every sequel type of crew. You get to learn about the crew romances. You get to learn about the politics and the art as well. You get to get, They all become characters onto themselves. It is really good. I highly recommend a Full Tilt Boogie. Uh, I will watch he, that. Yeah, so, um, and... Uh, Lost La Mancha is great. It's sad. It's extremely sad because you're watching this. Oh, like, it's you're, tragic. You're, 
absolute hero of mine just crash and burn. And, and, and it's not like this isn't the first time. Terry Gilliam has been known to butt heads with um, superior officers before. Uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> so even, even the movie, even, even the man who killed Don Quixote was, was put in can, was supposed to headline, and then was yanked, and then they put it back in. I mean, it, 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 it never gets a break cut like 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 they never cut terry gilliam a break it's always something going never so he finally gets it greenlit of course johnny depp is no longer attached and he's you know johnny depp the disney actor now and you know uh he doesn't have um a backer financial backing but he has a new script and all these things go over the years, and finally he gets Greenway, uh, but he still doesn't have a star. But then Adam Driver jumps on as producer, I believe, uh, and takes and and then there you go. So he finally gets to make his La Mancha movie, and that's the man who killed Don Quixote. And I, first thing I want to say, I read the uh, script for the first La Mancha movie back in the day during the Ain't It Cool time. Period. Oh, you did. Yeah, uh, way back in the day. Um, and I will say it's funny because there's not much left of that original script, but there's moments in that original script and they're shot straight out of Lost in La Mancha that they still had the footage of that they use in the new movie. And I was able occasionally to pop out like, oh, yeah, Johnny Depp was supposed to say that, you know, <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, and, and I do think I that Adam one. Driver... Yeah, there's a few here and there. They're Easter eggs to himself. I mean, the whole movie is self-referential anyways. I mean, I don't know about you, but didn't it feel like it was super autobiographical, the whole movie? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's ridiculous. I thought that Toby was him. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I thought in a way, I mean, I thought that it was just, uh, and I thought that it was also, I mean, I, I also cried in that, but I'm a crier, but I, it, it was, uh, it, it, uh, yes, I think that it was very autobiographical. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah, I not, continue. but not telling the story at all. It is completely tells this story of this, like, film he's been trying to make and you know he finally has actors and characters he has money you know he makes the movie and it's funny because we start with adam driver playing a pompous director arty director who's on the back half of his (laughs) career and he's shooting i believe it was a commercial for uh based on the man of la mancha story uh for tv <laughs> but 10 years earlier big surprise there there's 10 years earlier he uh-huh. was shooting in the exact uh-huh. same location um a student film on the same subject of la mancha apparently that's is the subject he explores in all of his films apparently steve right <laughs> la mancha. right uh you know <laughs> And so, um, long story short, he decides to go on a uh, go on a break and go visit uh, the town that he shot in, and to see if the girl who played Dulcinea is still there, and the guy if the guy who plays Don Quixote is still alive, and they both are. Hilarity ensues, and that's as far as I'm going to go with the plot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty much. But you go from there, and it, it, the the plot is is absolutely irrelevant. I mean, the style and just the emotion, and like you said, the whole thing. And I, 
uh, until just now, I was unaware. I hadn't looked in. I, I noticed the updates and saw the reflected changes concerning the journey he's been on and how that became central. But I assumed there was still a good chunk of the original story in there, um, con- especially concerning the saving the girl and all the portrayal of the maybe the boss I, th- I thought basically because i could see johnny depp especially at that time when it was right after fear and loathing in las vegas i could see him especially like in that hotel room at the beginning like you know prancing or you know trying to get his clothes and having stuff thrown at him and then the way he would react back then kind of hunter thompson-y the way he would start with you know that, that whole thing he would do so i the thought scene there, by the river surprising the, to learn the scene by the river was definitely out of the original script. Um, there's even some sequences oh, shot tell. with Johnny. Yeah, sequences with Johnny Depp. The ending, definitely. The the ending was shot. They actually shot the ending of of of, of the original film. It was it was like exactly where they start this movie with the set oh, that's is right. where that's right. the actual film ended. Right, like what they what that, they that's shot. The one right. I noticed. Yeah, so that's yeah. So the ending is, but you know, but but there's pieces here and there. But really, it's more self-referential than actually pieces of the script itself. If that makes any sense, he's he's hinting at things that happened, you know, and and he's using the older script as backstory, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Jonathan Price was almost. I wanted to concentrate on him for a moment, Steve. I thought he was almost unrecognizable. I, I thought he was too. I forgot he was Jonathan Price. Almost, there were. I had to keep reminding myself that was Jonathan Price, even though he's a Gilliam, you know, uh, Rogues Gallery guy. Uh, you're absolutely, yeah. He was totally, almost, almost unrecognizable. Yeah, well, I, and, and it's funny because at the end, I don't know if they did it for you, but I'm sure they did. At the end, they had that little documentary about making the new movie, and they showed how he was getting yeah. the prosthetic nose. And and I was like, yeah. oh, that's why I had a hard time recognizing Johnny Pro- uh, Jonathan Price. He's the guy who played Don Quixote because, of course, the original guy who played Don Quixote in the earlier film is dead. He passed on. He was older man already that's right. when that movie was going down. Yeah, John so, – um... John Rochefort, yeah. right? And then, and then wasn't jo- I think I also read, which I didn't know this, but I don't know if they, I don't think they ever shot anything, but I, I read this that uh, John Hurt was uh, attached in like 2011, 2010, and he's also passed now. But I don't, I, I don't think they ever shot anything. No, they, you know that we even have a film is a triumph, and I will be honest. I doubt I could give a negative review to this movie, even if I tried. Now, not to say there isn't confusion in the film. There absolutely is confusion and chaos. It's by design. Yes, it's absolutely by design. Yes. Not everyone's going to like that pacing. Um, it's not a no. frantically off unhinged film like Baron Munchausen is. And we'll talk about Munchausen later, right. where it's completely lost its verisimilitude. The problem is with this movie is that the verisimilitude is there, but then it fades out completely. You can't tell what is real and what is not. And that is where it mm-hmm. gets kind of interesting because there's times when it's actually real life, you know, and he's in a real place and he's doing things that are what real people would do, at least in the Gilliam film, <laughs> you know, and then there's other yeah, times where Gilliam he's in film. his own, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then the other times he's in the Gilliam film and he's in his own mind, and yeah. I, I say, it, you know what it's that not reminds as, me? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Steve. No, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that that in a way uh, that also I've Gilliam has had that problem once before specifically that I can think of, and it may I'm sure it does largely have to do with Heath Ledger dying halfway through production. But there were parts that movie felt the same way to me in a sense in in what you just said about um, the way that the uh, the verisimilitude was there and then it just fades and it gets kind of confusing and uh, about what's real and what's not and there you know when you're watching it um i i so yeah i when i was watching don quixote when i had i thought the exact same thing and it reminded me of parnassus in that way but that's that was sorry i yeah. that was my no <laughs> you can have as many thoughts as you want steve my thoughts are random and and just keep coming so if you have a thought please interrupt me i mean you yeah. are my co-host That's fine. you are not That's my fine. you're not my bitch you're just you're my co-host you're not, you're not. <laughs> so i mean I, well thank you, know. you. That's good i like yeah, that title better i do <laughs> well I mean, you could be Rachel's, but you know that—that's yeah, her job, that, not that, mine. Okay, you know, a, I just—I'm a, a benevolent. I'm a benevolent dictator, just so you know. You are, yeah. So, that's yeah. I like that. But you know, I respect that. I do. Okay, good, good. So yeah, so um, I want to say that um, first of all, shooting in Spain is always a positive thing. I have decided after going to Spain. Because I saw Girona, where some of Game of Thrones was filmed, and it's just stunning. And then this movie was shot in the middle of Spain, and the locations in this film, he's not. there's not many sets in this. I, I don't know if you were as mind-blown at the locations that they were shooting in as I was in this film. That in itself, I think, is oh worth seeing the gosh. movie for. It was like, I mean, not to get too carried away with it, but, you know, you remember those sweeping films like, uh, was it David Lear? Like, was that his name? The guy that made, like, Lawrence of Arabia? It's not, I mean, maybe, maybe you know, I'm taking leaps here, but. I was going to say, I that's just, a little and, and, bit, but, yeah, I, know, yeah, I get Yeah, but you know saying. what I mean, like, this. The sweeping shots of the landscapes, because I remember thinking that, that in parts of it where, like you, I could never give this a bad review, even though it did have problems. Uh, but, and, you know, like you said, any time that the narrative kind of lagged or anything like that, I'm at least completely lost staring at these beautiful shots of Spain because I you know I've been to Europe a few times but I have never been to Spain and that it's just it was breathtaking I you know Spain is beautiful I what I saw of it I only got to see two two regions the Valencia and the Catalonia area but I mean believe me that was good and I I would totally go back to Spain I I would love to see Sevilla which is near where some of this was shot um, that would be cool. And I would love to go to Gibraltar of all places. Oh. So I, I've always been fascinated about the, the rock of Gibraltar. I mean, there's like, and Rick Steves even did an episode of rock for, about from the Gibraltar. And I just find that whole story about how, you know, of its sovereignty and watching it freak out during Brexit. Cause it is, uh, well, it, they're totally freaking out in Gibraltar over Brexit. Brexit yeah. oh my Cause God. they're kind of stuck between two. They're stuck between two governments, right? So they're like, <laughs> yeah. right. What are you gonna do? I mean, it's what a mess. Yeah, but you know, I digress. Anyway, go. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts that you want to add to Don Quixote, and maybe we'll go ahead and start talking about um, some of his older stuff. 
Okay, uh, Clint, I will add a couple things just um, since this is probably – I am going to be writing an article just because I pushed an article on uh, my editors. I kept going, hey, there's this event, you know, hey, hey, and they finally said, okay, you know, here's your – have your damn article. But, you know, um, well, but this and, is the only chance for the probably – Tell them it makes sense for their website. They talk about surrealism, and Terry Gilliam should be included in that. Yeah, anyway. it did. I'm overstating how hard of a sell it was, but you know, <laughs> it, you know, I did, I did. I, I, it wasn't like they were asking for it. Let me put it that way. I'm the one that brought it up. So, okay. but uh, cool, cool. since this is the only time, I will get to talk about it. I just want to say. Um, a couple uh, things that one, you know, the the what it was it the I don't know what it's referred to in the book. I can't remember. I did have to read it for world literature, but the, with the CDs on the castle, that was great, and some of the visuals like that, and and I loved it. It was so classic Gilliam. I won't give that away, but when he finds. You know, when he when he does find Kyoto, because I, I assume people realize he does reunite with Kyoto, even if they've seen a trailer. Uh, you know, um, that scene when it, you know, the where where he is, that's beautiful. So I think this does fit very nicely with uh, the rest of his films. There were a couple things in it I thought. Um, you know, Gilliam, you know, some of like the Muslim jokes where he's, you know, the goats are bleeding, and he and he said like. Uh, Oh, the Muslim called a prayer, and uh, and there were there was a couple moments like that, and I, I there were a couple of other things, and then I found out that he shot that castle where that battle, the, the jousting scene is is the only um, castle that is both ruled by Moors and Christians. They were talking about in the documentary. Do you remember that? And there, so yeah. I thought there was all these weird little there were all these weird little kind of religious and political subtext that I thought I, that I, that I felt were kind of political jabs or jabs at religion or something, but, and they were funny at the time, but um, I just, you know, Terry Gilliam also gets himself in trouble. I, I, always, I always, I always, he's one of those guys, David Lynch is one of those guys I worry about too, that I wonder how sometimes, you know, modern audiences might, you know, interpret their work. But I was very interested. I I want to see it again because I wanted to kind of look more into that stuff because it was really interesting. So, yeah, you're right. A triumph and congratulations to Gilliam. I mean, it just – I can't imagine anybody telling anyone they can't do something. I mean, this guy, what was it, 27 years? So 27. Yeah, the man, yep, the 27. Man, amazing. So, yeah, that's it. It's just – it's amazing. So go see it if you can or see it at home. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have a VOD that it's on, which I honestly have been trying to figure out which platform it's on, and I can't do that right now. Um, but please watch it on VOD. It it does have its limited, limited run right now, I believe, in New York and Los Angeles, but with the biggest uh-huh. screenings in Los Angeles right now. So go see it uh, if you can. If not, uh it will be available at some point. All of his films get released eventually. <laughs> it takes sure. some time, sometimes, right. but they do. Right. They do. Uh, it, and I believe you're right, Steve, that you can actually watch this film multiple times and see it from different things and see different things every time. Oh, and, and you notice how they were des- building up the, the, the chairs and then they set them on fire? Yes. 
that was my science. gosh, that was my favorite visual. Oh my yeah. gosh, I, oh, I, my I, I, oh, I would love to have a painting of that or something. Now you know that what I was doing. That was even though what they're doing is very primitive structures, and what I saw was like you know sculptures and stuff. But that was the that was the festival. That was Fias. The, the, their sacrificing. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I was really. I like it. Just came back. All, all, I my whole like winter and spring has been revolving around. Spain. I still have one That's piece awesome. of Spanish <laughs> chocolate left. I was going to eat it yesterday for Easter or Sunday for Easter and I didn't eat it. I still have it and I'm thinking I'm going to eat oh. it. Finally. Uh, you know, like, it, it, it can't add, you know, you can't eat your chocolate and have it to you now. So, especially <laughs> Spanish chocolate. True. I do say yeah, that. So, oh, uh, so, enjoy it. So, yeah, so enjoy it and enjoy Spain and enjoy watching Spain on The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Terry Gilliam. Watch any Terry Gilliam movie. Don't start with Brothers Grimm. That was the only thing I would recommend. <laughs> uh, but but I, I don't want to this on that film first. But, um, you know, I like I said, I had seen, Steve, every single Terry Gilliam feature that exists, including Zero Theorem, which a lot of people have not seen with Christoph Waltz. It's which great, is like, though. It's great, and if you, if anybody out there is listening and likes Cronenberg and Existence, put this on right after. They kind of make oh, perfect gosh. A yeah. B bookend films. So if you like Existence, you're gonna like there. Yeah, you'll like Zero Theorem. Um, so I highly recommend yeah, that. That'll work better than Brazil and Zero Theorem because everybody at the time I remember saying, "Oh, it's just like Brazil," and I and, it's and I didn't not agree. like Brazil you're, that's at exactly all. Right. Are they kidding? At all. No, yeah, just because the ridiculous. endings are similar, it's not the same. That's I it. mean, and no. you know, and and, That's and, a great and the other feature. Yeah, no, it, it reminded me immediately of Existence when I watched it, and, and Christoph yeah. Waltz is really good in it as usual because it's Christoph Waltz and he's good in everything. Yeah. Um, so right. you know, there's a reason. Uh, and so, um, and I even like imagine uh, uh, the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. I actually think it's a. Uh, uh, it, considering there's some shit went down with that, I you know I, I you know boy, there's a lot to look at in a Terry Gilliam catalog. There's a lot of weirdness and a lot of gloriousness. There is a, a quite a drop of controversy, but there's one yeah. film that divides his his watchers the most, and and, uh, and and a lot of people haven't seen it. So I decided because Steve. Even though Steve has he has darkness in his past, we won't get into it. But I figured if anybody could pick up on what this film was trying to say, because personally, I'm going to tell you right now, Steve, I absolutely adore Tideland. I think it is one of the most underrated, underrated films in the Terry Gilliam catalog. So, what movie? Talk about Tideland. Give us a quick plot synopsis. But once again, plot is almost incidental because it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's go for Terry it. Gilliam, okay? And Terry Gilliam. Just like the other films, that's right, Tideland. Just like the other films we've talked about, if it's nicely in his catalog, regardless of what anyone will tell you, okay? So, that being said, Tideland, now, I, for listeners, whoever's out there, Elizabeth, I just um, watched this, as you know, just the other day, so. Character names, I apologize. It's like J- Jeff C. Rose, J- C- Giles C. Rose. It's a little but girl. They're weird names. I don't... They're yes, weird names. they're all very weird names. So anyway, there's Jeff Bridges, and he is a heroin junkie, right? 
and he's mm-hmm. all, he's just a drug addict. And he and he actually remind I actually made a crack when he started. I said, "My God, he dresses and looks like Johnny Depp now." Ooh, that's a little below <laughs> the belt, but I, but I, wow. but that was my honest. And I, you know, I I I'm not a I'm not piling on him at all. I actually wish he would get his shit together, uh, because I'm a big fan of like a million of his films. I'm just saying we all know that this hasn't been the best decade for the man, but that was my first thought. I even said it out loud <laughs> because Jeff Bridges looks terrible. He is, I mean, my God. So yeah, he, it is, and it is a great performance from Jeff Bridges, even though it's a limited amount of screen time. Same for Jennifer Tilly, even less. But anyway, let, let me plot synopsis quickly is that there is a young girl. How old would you say she is? Seven, eight? She's eight. She's eight. Like that. Yeah, okay, yeah, she's believe, eight. Okay, believe, an eight-year-old sure girl, eight. and she, okay, that makes sense. And she lives with her parents, and her mother is Jennifer Tilly, who is on methadone and is really mean to her and abusive. And her father uh, has his daughter make his heroin every day and calls it his vacation, and he actually has her tie, uh, he ties off, and she shoots him up. And it's very grimy. They live in this house, and he paints himself as this philosopher slash rock and roller slash how I imagine hanging out with Johnny Depp now would be. And he uh, he even um, you know my favorite part with him was when he because it does tie in later to the film when he opens up when he wakes her up when he's obviously on crystal meth or coke and he wakes his little girl up in the bed and he shows her the. The, the picture of the body that had been there for thousands of years and he's so high he doesn't know why but there's a connection there and we, we do see later in the film why but um, so the mom dies the mom basically just dies from smoking cigarettes shooting dope and being on methadone and she overdoses on methadone and they take off they try to the dad freaks out because he doesn't want to lose her and he has drugs he basically is probably just thinking self-preservation so jeff bridges grabs his daughter tries to set his wife on fire like a viking funeral he says and the (laughs) daughter doesn't let him and they then leave they hop a bus and they go back to his old mother's his mother's old farmhouse and it's dilapidated (laughs) it's in the and it's in the middle of a field it's 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 uh you know so it seems like they're isolated and alone out there the very first night there, he ODs and dies. And, and before you – hold on a second, Steve. Before you go any farther, I just want to point out to our listeners that all this is not a spoiler because this all happens in the first 20 minutes of the yes. movie. Okay, That's go exactly ahead, Steve. exactly what I was like. I should have said that. I would thank you because I was thinking I should have just said that. All set up. This, that's what's crazy is this is all set up. All the big names in this movie are dead in 20 minutes. And so you're left with this eight-year-old girl who has lived with these people, and this is her life. Like she I, – I know people that have houses like that. I knew people who shot up their kids because they didn't want them to find it elsewhere. I knew people who had their kids shoot them up because they couldn't find their own veins because they were so bad off. That is not, it seems surreal and played up. And, you know, I don't really think that it is. I have been in houses that kind of look like that. And uh, it's disgusting. And it is, I understand why it pisses people off. 
but I don't think it should. I um, this movie is important, and uh, I saw it. One, uh, I was just reading a little bit about it, and one my favorite thing I found out about it was Michael Chaplin from um, I'm sorry, Michael Palin from uh, you know Monty Python saw it, and apparently said, well. Uh, Terry, it's either the greatest film you've ever made or the worst film you've ever made. I'm just quite not sure, you know, and, and and I love that quote, but I don't think it's the worst film you ever made. I think it will be remembered as a masterpiece in the end because this little girl, it, 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 here's why, here's what I wanted to say. Here is why it fits into his pantheon of films, his, his you know, catalog perfectly is because this little girl is going through a horrendous situation the same way that like Robin Williams is going through a horrendous situation or the same way, you know, in all of his films, like Adam driver crisis of faith and things like that. And, uh, you know, any of those types of, that's a reoccurring theme throughout his films. And, um, this little girl deals with that by escaping and any kid can relate to that, especially any kid that's been abused um, can relate to that. She has these Barbie dolls uh, that talk on her fingers, and then she befriends these. I don't want to spoil too much, but the biggest controversy, I'm sure, is the fact that she befriends a mentally challenged guy who um, she she actually becomes the provocateur, this eight-year-old, and he's a grown man, a young man, but a grown, a grown man and an eight-year-old girl, and she is the provocateur of wanting to be – calls herself uh, his wife, but she doesn't really understand, and neither does he. And it did not – there, there was a, a moment in the film where my heart stopped just because – uh, it just did. Um, um, and uh, on that level, but I at the same time didn't um, ever think it was disgusting in the way that people seem to always have told me that movie is disgusting. It, it's it not really disgusting. I, I, I've never understood that relationship. I Okay. Two of my favorite films have awkward relationships like this. Um, uh, children of Men, uh, not Children of Men, uh, chil- you know, the, the Jeanette Jeanette, the children, the, last, the city of lost children, okay? There's a relationship oh, yeah, between yeah, Ron yeah. Perlman and a kid. And a lot of people have some interest with that, you know. This is, diff- this is the same idea, and except for, th- I think this is a lot more natural, and, and it feels real, and, and she's coping. A lot of people, this is not her wanting to be sexual with a guy. That's not no. what it is. This is a coping is mechanism. She's she's trying yeah. she's creating her own world as as she sees fit. And what I love about this part of the story is how uncompromising the viewpoint of this of at this point. You are watching through her eyes. The dolls talk yeah. to you. Um, you know, the, the the monster is real. You know, um yeah. Her, 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 the corpse of her dad takes on a life of its own without actually getting up, which I controversially awesome too. I mean, there's a lot of things happening, and I don't want to. I almost don't want to say what they do to his corpse because I think that is a spoiler. That no, that yeah. part is like one of my favorite things in the movie. Uh, yes, but you Me know, too. but all this, all this stuff is happening through her eyes, and and it, it never once to me felt like it was being exploitational. In any way, right? Like, 
uh, you know, it's not an it, exploitation it, film. No, I mean, I mean, I've listened to Terry Gilliam talk about it, and I will admit he always sounds creepy when he talks, but I think that's really oh, Gilliam. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He just needs a publicist that won't let him talk to people anymore. <laughs> no, he's always, he's always been, well, that's why they put him behind a giant Etzel board with paper, you know, because he can deal with that's that, right? right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I can deal but, with that. But you know, I, I I've I've never understood really that complaint about it. There, like I said, there there are other arguments. Like I said, City of Lost Children has a similar issue. I actually think there's more of a of a argument there for a, for that being a little bit inappropriate. But I've never once and ever watched Tideland and felt that this relationship was inappropriate. Uh, it's weird. It's meant to be weird. These are weird, weird people. <laughs> These are weird These are people. The weirdest people you will ever maybe see in a movie. You know? like the, these are some of the weirdest people ever on film, it's, and it's, they it's, are. It's, uh, it's it's unsettling. Jeff Bridges is in Crazy Heart. Is that the name of that movie where he plays an old country singer? It's almost like if that character was taken and then dropped into a surrealist movie. Totally. That's absolutely correct. It's yeah, yeah, if he was dropped yeah. Yeah. If he was in one of his benders and then just dropped into Terry Gilliam world and yeah, he was yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so uh so I'm glad you liked it. I, I kind of warned you it was going to be a rough watch because <laughs> it is. I'm not saying it's a fun watch. It's not a fun watch. Oof. It's a fascinating watch. Nope. Fascinating yeah. watch, but it is not a fun. If you watch. like cinema, uh, yeah, you'll 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 enjoy watching it. But it's not you know it'll. I don't think it says on the box feel good hit of the summer or anything. <laughs> No, I'm, you know, Tideland is a book. Um, It's based on a book. So a lot of this stuff is also in the book. Um, So, you know, there's there's a question of source material as well. Um, But honestly, I I think that if you like Gilliam films, a lot of people miss this one. Don't miss this one. I think give it a sec. I think once you're right, Steve, that with age and time, it'll age well. I think it is aging well. Like I watched it, mm-hmm. oh, I watched it when it was new, and then I watched it a couple of years ago, and I was like, "Wow, this movie hasn't lost its impact at all." Matter of fact, it feels more relevant nope. now. Uh, so, uh, you know, so I think that people are going to revisit that because everyone always says that Baron Munchausen is the classic, right? But right, right. You know, but Tideland, you know, Tideland is. I would movie. say I better movie it's a way better film there is some important things no, about fun. that film oh yeah so let's go for a but i'm glad i kind of give you this baron munchausen too we can talk about most of it because you thought most of it you don't i'm not gonna talk about the end though yeah. uh, but first of all it's good because right. you had a lighter a lighter way lighter tone than what's happening in Thailand. It was great to switch <laughs> to that. It was great. Yeah. It was great to switch to that. Yeah, totally great. It was. It would be like with Lynch, like going like full on like Blue Velvet, and then watching Straight Story right after. Yeah, you yeah, know? no, that, you know, it, it really actually that's a good analogy. I would agree with that. Uh, but um, oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Munchausen was a huge hit in Europe, like one of the biggest. And then when it came to America, it fell on its face. I was working at the movie theater; it was playing at the time. <laughs> so uh wow but, uh, yeah so uh you know <laughs> that's cool yeah it was 88 that's right? Cool. So, right 
Um, yeah, so, yeah, 88. That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, tells you how old I am. Uh, you know, senior yeah. year in high school. Uh, so you know, senior year high school. Yeah, cool. Senior year high school. Uh, so so I watched. You know, so it's a fun film. It's it, if so, but it was also pretty for the time. Star studded, like super star studded. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone at the peak game, you know, Robin Williams and it introduced, and this is, and I'm just going to go straight out and ask you, Steve, before we get into the plot, Uma Thurman, first performance, 18 years old. How did you see, look at that. Wasn't that like the most wonderful way to introduce an actress to the world? (laughs) There's nothing. How how could you ask for a better scene? Because when I even said that out loud, I, and I, I just looked over at Rachel and I said, she's, I said, 18 years old. I was like, just on screen like that. That's exactly what I said. And yeah, totally. That's best. Maybe of all, maybe of the modern era, at least uh, perfect screen entrance ever. I mean, friggin' Venus of Villendorf. I mean, really, it's just like <laughs> you know, it's like they just like brought like it was like he it was like Gilliam gave birth to a goddess, literally. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it, it, <laughs> so uh, if nothing else. Baron Munchausen needs to be remembered for that moment that brought us Uma into our lives, and we still love Uma to this day. And uh, you know, she's still famous. But this movie is, mm-hmm. is not aging as well as some of his other titles, but there's still a lot of good to be had. So talk about your experience watching the story of Baron Munchausen. I'm enjoying it. I think that it feels like Time Bandits mixed with Brazil uh, visually a lot. Brazil, you, my West Virginia came out there. Brazil. Um, um, so yeah, I, uh, I don't think it's as good as people say it is. Like when I shared online that I was watching Tideland, I got no reaction. When I shared online, I was watching Baron Munchausen, like two people like classic and somebody else is like, yes, you know, people love that movie, but, but you know, I, 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 there's some movies like that from the eighties that I'm just not that in love with. Um, and that, and this may be one of them. Like, you know, I, I, I don't even want to go into them because you'll get mad. I'm sure you get mad at all of them. The ones that I, I think are way mad. overrated and don't get. Try me. Well, try me. I, now okay, I need to know. I feel, okay. okay here, all right. Here's how I feel about Baron Monk. Number one. Yes. It fits in the uh, pantheon of Gilliam film. Sure. Oh, it fits it's on right the along shelf. everything else. And I enjoy it. Yep, yeah, yep. it's on the shelf right there whenever you need it. Yeah, it's per- it's it's a great film. I enjoyed it. Had fun with it. I love the designs and creature effects. Now, here I was a little disappointed in just that I don't know. I, I didn't uh, get as much out of it as I thought. And it reminds me of the way I feel about a lot of 80s movies that people go on about, like, say, The Goonies. Um, I just have never cared. Or The Princess Bride. I really don't care. Or I can't even get through that movie. I have never made it through that movie. And I know that's oh. a cinema sin, but I just – I've never watched The Princess Bride all the way through, and that kills Rachel. And everybody always looks at me like I'm crazy, but uh, – and just movies like that, um, Adventures in Babysitting, uh, some of those 80s and the – you know, the Back to the Future sequels I'm not even into. I, I don't like what they did to Crispin Glover, but I don't like the feel of them. So I just don't have this huge 80s kind of nostalgia that everybody seems to be going through which is weird because I was I was five in ninety, so I you know I was kind of plagued with all that stuff, and my I had an older brother, 
so you know we i grew up with all that stuff but you know the stuff i like from that time period is stuff everyone else hates you know <laughs> you know but um it reminds me kind of that but it's it's better a film than the i think it's a better film than any film i mentioned but it just reminds me of a film from that time period that i just kind of go oh cool it's just, but when I think of Brazil or the Fisher King, other stuff around those five or six year period, whatever, like I just think it just doesn't compare. Like it doesn't come close. Like it's key moment. It's best. It's best thing it did. We already talked about. Like there is, and and I think some of the stuff it did, he'd already done better. And I think that there were budgetary problems that show. And like some of the design work where it goes completely computerized and stuff, I don't imagine that's what he had in mind. Maybe I'm wrong, but it didn't work for me either way. But uh, I really like the um, – I like Eric Idle. It just warms my heart seeing them work together because as far as I know, I don't know if they did again in a big sense um, like that. So I really enjoy that. I don't, I don't hate the movie or anything like that. It's just not – speaking to me the way other uh, Gilliam films are, but uh, you said it was star-studded, and that it, is at something the time, that kind yes. of pleasantly surprised me. Yeah, I had no, yeah, no, I'm agreeing with that. I had no idea it was that packed. When I saw Robin Williams, I actually was so unprepared to see Robin Williams. I watched that scene and was giggling. Now, it has made me giggle a lot, you know, so it is enjoyable. I get why people like it. But um, it's just not something I'd put in, like, you know, um, so, like, I, there's weird, weird movies. With t- I, I can't even explain the tone. I know it's not like Army of Darkness, but I also feel the same way about that. Like, I love the first two Evil Dead films, but Army of Darkness, I feel I don't really get into it that much, and I never have, and I think it kind of ruined <laughs> the franchise. No, it did not ruin the franchise. I I, I'm not a fan. For me, for me, I just think it's a different Ash Williams than started out. Well, yes, we will talk about, and even Sam Raimi will admit that the Ash in the first half of Army Darkness and what happens in the back half aren't the same Ashes. But that's I could deep dive that and probably change your viewpoint on Army Darkness. But that's not what this episode is right now. But Baron um, Munchausen, I the, think if I can put my finger on it, it just seems like of the films of the time period, if I'm lining them up, there it's just not as good as like I said, Fisher King or Brazil or even Time Bandits. And some of the stuff I really liked felt like I was like, wait, didn't I see him do that already in Time Bandits? So you know, I, I don't I, I don't have a bad opinion of it, but I kind of have a okay, cool opinion of it. I think that it was Roger Ebert who I watched. It was or Leonard Moulton. I don't remember who reviewed this when it came out, and 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 Terry Gilliam also caught up on this. And it, uh, up to this point, Terry Gilliam's movies, even in his weirder ones like Jabberwocky, is always got right. some kind of netting. And what he means by that is there's always a little bit of grounding to keep the audience. From not you're not you're you, it, it's fantasy enough to keep you don't have to worry about logic, but it feels authentic enough that you don't question what you're watching. When you get to Baron Monkhausen, he just takes that shit away and it's full fantasy. There's no holds bar. There's nothing to keep you grounded. There's nothing. The only anchor point in that film is the girl. She's the only. Once again, we're seeing the movie through the eyes of a child, which is something that also right. Terry, Terry Gilliam tends to do. It not just girls. He also time bandits is another one. Uh, you know, uh, there's, yeah. 
Matter of yeah. fact, that's what I liked about kind of putting the Tideland and this together because the the girls are the same age, which is kind of cool. I thought uh, that. Yeah. I yeah. thought that. Another weird, cool double feature. But and, and I do want to put a disclaimer. Like 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 Elizabeth already mentioned, I'm still thirty minutes away from even completely seeing this picture. So processing it may be totally different later. It may who knows? It may end up being my favorite Gilliam film or something. It'll probably be it, it's definitely gonna be it's definitely better than Brothers Grimm, uh, which I keep making fun oh, of yeah, because for sure. that was his you know, Terry Gilliam works better, I guess, when he struggles. When they give him his, what he wants, he tends to make crap. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, and, that's no, true. I say crap. Brothers Grimm, Thailand. No, and the idea that that Thailand's considered a worse movie. Like, if you read one of those stupid, oh. I never read them. I, I rarely post those ones that go. I rank every Terry Gilliam film in order. I'm like. Take them for each film for what it is. Don't rank them. Yeah, you know. Right. Uh, the only exception to that is I I'm, did. I'm uh, not gonna uh, Yeah, don't don't don't. I don't mind doing count. No, it's I love fair. countdowns. I love countdowns, countdowns of, favor, cool. of our favorite films, right? Of certain genres. Yeah. That's fun, but I don't believe in ranking a person's catalog amongst itself. That's just not fair. That's not fair, you know, is it? That's really it's not, not fair. It's, it's not. So it's the only it's just yeah, rude. So, yeah. and the idea that Tideland, you know, and but that being said, anybody that all the time you read these things, they always have Tideland towards the bottom and Brothers Grimm is sometimes over it. And I'm like, No, have you watched Tideland? Have you no. really paid attention what? to what he was doing? The 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 cinema craft alone in Tideland is, is phenomenally better. There. Yeah, and, and, and Brothers Grimm, which had the budget, which had the actors, which had everything they yep. wanted, there's something everything. No, there's something missing from that film. There's some heart missing, there's some no spirit heart. missing. I never quite understood yep. what doesn't quite work, because there's moments that work. I actually really like the gingerbread man monster in that movie. I actually thought he was <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. And I yeah, like the idea. Of, of two brothers yeah, going around and capturing ghosts. I, I mean, I'm on board. The design, the the mm. vill- they built a village. You gotta give them credit for building a village. You got. They <laughs> you did know? build a village. They did. Yeah. yeah they, you, Terry Gilliam, you gave him money. He built a village. <laughs> they, they, built a village. Yeah, he did you know. do that. That, that was so, cool. I don't. Uh, you know, I hate hating on the brothers Grimm. That's how much I like uh, um, Terry Gilliam. I, I, I love Terry Gilliam. I'd follow him to the ends of the earth. I think I have at this point <laughs> and beyond, uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, flaws and all. I, you know, he, he's probably, he's by far my husband and I's favorite director uh, that we share. Okay. We both are consistent on that. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think I've seen all his catalog and, uh, and I'm glad that you you enjoyed these films and you took them on their own terms. And I'm really and when we come back, we'll we'll lead off with the last 30 minutes of Munchausen on the next Repo Nerds, which is sometime at the end of middle to end of May. I don't have a date for it yet, um, but we'll talk about it then. Before we talk about topic, if you want to, because I'm kidding. Ooh. And you'll of course, and don't forget to text me too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm curious, you know, what you're saying. So, um, and and let Rachel know about the um, uh, Princess Bride thing. I totally agree with her, and um, we're gonna have to fix that at some point because the idea you've not watched the end of 
friggin' Princess Bride. Like, like that movie is way important. Like, Shame. I just can't, you know, what the Shame. hell, man? <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Shame. Ring a shade bell on Shame. Shame. Oh, no. I mean, I Rachel mean. Rachel will appreciate that one. Yeah, that's for Rachel. That shame bell was for Rachel. Just so you know, um, I will say you should you should watch. Um, there are issues with the first half of Princess Bride that go away in the second half. The payoff is worth it. Stick with it. Okay. Payoff okay. is worth it. We own it, so I will pop it in. The, I will. Yeah, pop the it. the ending is great. The book is better. Oh my god, the book is so friggin' good. If you want to read a fun read. Um, the book that it's based on is is great. Uh, you know, it's like I forget the whole title, but it's like the Princess Bride, uh, a story told with all the boring stuff cut out. <laughs> it's what it's called. Yeah. It's it's a really it's a really good book, and you know, it was written by the same guy who wrote Lord of the Flies. You know, oh, rest in peace. By oh, the way. Great. oh really? Golding. William Golding. Yeah. Yeah, William cool. Golding. Uh, so uh, you know, awesome. so I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna ask you to rethink the the other ones. Babysitter, meh, uh, you know, there, there's not there wasn't very many in the list that you said that were like, oh, I'm so upset that you haven't seen or watched Princess Bride. Sorry about awesome. that. There was some. I, I oh. had, there was a, a, a tornado of sound all of a sudden. So oh, um, I didn't hear it. I just thought you cut out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I had to turn off my mic for a second. Sorry about that. Because uh, we're almost it's done, okay. anyways. Um. So yeah, at some point. Okay. Uh. So uh. Speaking. What was it? We were talking about uh. Princess Bride, and I wanted to bring it back up because this weekend. Yes. I'm going to Awesome Con. Here, which is our our convention, oh, cool. and one of the things they're Great. doing is a Princess by reunion. I believe it's Wally, Sean, and Carrielles. Um, so oh, cool. uh, you know, so I, I'm probably gonna go. There's a there's a Princess Bride Q and A and a Wally Sean on his own Q and A. So there for the Wally Sean on his own Q and A because yeah. Wally Sean is one of the most interesting careers you know, for a character actor. And he is just, I'm a huge fan of Wally Sean. So, you know. You know, I I love character actors. So, like, Harry Dean Stanton is my favorite, Brad Dourif, and uh, Wally Sean, he is up there. He is one of the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and I will say, after he leaves Princess Bride, because he really is the best thing of the first half of Princess Bride, is uh, Wally Sean's character. Uh, You do miss him for the rest of it, but stick with it. Like I said, the movie (laughs) does have payoff. Part of it is cheese balls. Some of it's fun just to see, like, you know, Peter Falk before he died and Fred Savage in his Wonder Years years, you know. know, There's a lot of cool things about it, too, nostalgically. Uh, When I was... I don't I get what the, I'm supposed to. I, sorry. You don't get. No, it's I okay not to get. I, my tone is I. My, I'm, I'm sorry. My problem with it, I, it, the nail on the head, and I've said this to Rachel, and she just looks at me like I'm crazy. Is I don't know. I think growing up, I always thought that movie was supposed to be way more comical, and though it is funny, then it it has this weird tone that I can't peg down as to whether or not I'm supposed to take it seriously, and it, it just, it, for some reason, it's always bothered me. 
Does that make sense? I mean, well, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, you know? Well, it, it's it's an adventure comedy, which are really hard to stick. Um, so pace issues can be, you know, it, it's definitely supposed to be funny. The movie is funny. Uh, but right. it's like funny, like the Orville is funny. The Orville is funny. Right. On, you know, it, it's it's that style of comedy where the adventure is adds to the comedy itself. Um, how far do you get into The Princess Bride? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I, I've seen bits and pieces. I've seen where it starts, and he starts telling him the story. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I know. I've seen clips of the chess game. I really couldn't tell you. It's been a long time since I sat down with it at all, but I, I don't remember that much. I do remember I, – I've seen parts of, like – I've just seen parts of it out of order more than anything. Okay, then you really do need to sit down in one sitting. And, and we're not going to do that yet because you have some other things we're going to watch. Like you're still doing the Elvira deep dive and getting back yes. to me on that, which we're yes. going to do that episode in July because it'll be an easy episode to do right before San Diego because I'm going to be preparing for San Diego Comic-Con. So, um, and then That's June, awesome. we're doing a Western of some kind. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Maybe we, we could put Princess Bride in in May. We do have a May episode, but I'm going to leave that open. We may do it sure. then. We, you know, it, it, Princess, Princess Bride is, is kind of an important film in some ways. Uh, so I would definitely say you should, with Rachel, one night with a nice glass of wine or whatever you want, you should uh, sit there together and really watch the film and pay attention. Because like I said, if, it gets, if you're annoyed, stick with it. It gets it, the runtime it gets better and better and there's some of the best shit in the movie is in the back half of the film like there's some great stuff oh, there's yeah. a horse there's some horror sequences that are fun um the score is actually one of the things that puts me off about the princess bride i don't think the score is very good and i've always been a little depressed about that because the song was nominated for best song but it by far didn't deserve to win <laughs> it wasn't that oh, good yeah. um you know it's an okay song i i think take was it take my breath away it was came out that year uh i had to look up what won that oh, year yeah. but it was some big power ballad uh, so so Rachel, I validate that. That's why I gave her the shout out. But I'm really glad that you like Thailand and Munchausen. And if you ever anybody are listening or know anybody that's into Terry Gilliam, believe me, we will talk Terry Gilliam with you because there's only yes. six of us, but we're very enthusiastic about talking about <laughs> Gilliam. <laughs> so, and we All can't wait. Day. To, yes. And 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 I'm so hoping hoping he makes another film, and it doesn't take another 27 years. I know, right? I, I hope he just makes another film, just gets right back out there, and we have another one in a few years. Yeah, I, I you know, and if what? anybody I could meet at a at a convention, I think Gilliam would be on my short list. I'd probably end up begging him for an interview oh. and crying at his feet and being arrested and thrown out of the convention, but that's okay. Well, if you ever do see, like, uh, the uh, when you think about directors, like, it's sad to me that, you know, John Waters doesn't make films anymore, and, and, and we all know why without getting into it, but also David Lynch is in that same boat, and for Showtime to have given him that for fans was a blessing, which is why um, it, I definitely don't want any more Twin Peaks. Um, uh, that would it's, it's, a, it's a perfect swan song, but it also feels like an 18-hour film that encompasses everything from Eraserhead and his entire career, you know? So it, 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 with him, 
I don't see – it would really surprise me if I, if I woke up tomorrow morning and Variety was saying, David Lynch is going to do a series or David Lynch is directing a new film. I don't think you'll see art and, and small projects, but uh, with Gilliam and some of these other filmmakers, I just – and Scorsese's, you know, I just want to see as many more films out of these guys as I can, hopefully. Well, we're getting The Irishman, so we'll watch that when Scorsese – uh, yeah. on Netflix. So, but uh, in the meantime, we have lots of other things to do. Uh, we let me go over our schedule, Steve, and then we'll leave for the night because it's, it's time to go. Even though, like I said, I could literally talk about Terry Gilliam movies till the sun comes up. But it's going to be a long <laughs> haul for the Repo Nerds and Sexy Witches for the next few weeks because we are doing not one, not two, but three back-to-back episodes. Um, starting tonight with this Repo Nerds, well, at least I am. You're not necessarily. Next week is going to be another short episode, but that'll be a, the 30th, and that'll be a Sexy Witches, where I will recap my visit to Awesome Con in the first half with Erin Marie, who's coming down, the Sexy Porn Witch. She's going to spend Saturday with me at Awesome Con, and I'm going to spend all awesome. three days. So that'll be great. Uh, and then the 7th, That's which is, awesome. of course, super awesome, I'm actually really excited. I haven't seen Aaron in a while, so I'm really glad. I think her sister Deidre's coming too. So, And then on the 7th, of course, Steve, that is the big theme announcement, the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness. Going to be a great episode. It's going to be a padded episode. We're going two and a half hours that night. Um, yes. Because uh, the first half, we're going to recap. I'm going to do um, the 30th is a, a recap of Awesome Con, but the second half of, of the 30th is going to be a preview of Crypticon Seattle, which is the first weekend in May. And I'm flying out there to Seattle to see Queenie, my former co host, and Michelle Ness, oh, yeah, who will be Queenie. on the show with me to preview the show. Uh, Michelle Ness, the filmmaker, uh, and she's been on the show a couple times yeah. as well. And um, so I'm going to go out there and meet everybody and meet Gigi from uh, from Luchagor and a lot of these names that have been seen for a while. I think Tristan Riss is going to be there. Uh, you know, and there's a decent oh, cool. lineup. Um, they're doing a Twin Peaks thing, and Cheryl Lee, who played uh, the, the what Laura Palmer herself, is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one. a Twin Peaks. I'm currently watching Twin Peaks for Steve because I had actually, that was one of the things right. that he pulled my card on because I had never actually seen it. But I had to put it aside, and I'm not going to announce who it is right now because I don't know when I can actually go ahead and make it this advertising public. But I landed an interview for with a director, and mm. not just a director, a real director. That's wrong. Uh, a, a director with four decades. Of his uh, of film under his belt, literally four decades, and he's definitely theme related. And you have seen one of his films, whether you realize or not. Everybody has seen one of his movies because uh, he has such a wide ranging sure. catalog. He's like he's a gun for hire, but he's uh, you know he, he, I'm so excited. That's why I'm giving it a two and a half hours. We might not go the whole two and a half hours, Steve, but we will go at least a half an hour. And at the after we do an hour of madness talk, he's going to call in at 1030 and we're going to have an interview oh, wow. with one person directly related to my theme this year. And People you folks, don't you don't want to miss this episode. Um, it's going to be it's fantastic. So cool. I mean, I, I, I asked, he said yes. And he just said, read my book and you can be on and I'll be on your show. And I'm like, oh, not doing anything on the it's amazing. I'm like, oh, oh my oh, gosh. Oh. 
so so, so it's a good awesome. thing. Um, you know, and and yeah. oh my god, I'm I'm so excited to have this guy on because I have three of his films in my co- in my collection. So that tells me how much I care about this oh, guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. So and uh, so I will probably announce who that is. Yeah, on the thirtieth, I will probably be able to announce who that is for the Madness episode on the seventh. And for people who don't know what the Madness is, it is a Facebook group, the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness. Hashtag the Madness. You'll find me. That you'll find it um, at the at the Madness. You can find it there too. We're also on Twitter. Um, and um, sexy witches, find us on Facebook. Find us on Facebook. And they're on Twitter. Well, I don't have a repo nerds for Twitter. Yeah, I just use you as sexy witches. But, you know, we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> you know, um, but um, you can find us all there. Um, you can even find me in my personal profile if you want to learn history, too. Uh, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. I talk about everything from movies to some politics, but not really. Mostly history. When it's politics, really, it's history related. History and anything else that tricks my fancy. And no, I don't get on soapbox. A lot of science. A lot of science. I love science, so I like to make sure. Um, you also, yeah. if you want to talk science fiction with us, we have the group. We have several Facebook groups. We have, of course, the Madness. We also have Rogues of Tossie Station, which talks about science fiction. Of course, with Star Wars coming up, uh, we have a lot to talk about. And oh, yeah. uh, we also have uh, uh, the Film SB Film Geek Circle, which was actually a group that was started on MySpace and gravitated over, and so it's been around since. For, since two since 2008 so uh there's been that's, there's been yeah so that you want to talk to a key group of film geeks yeah it, it, it there's every type of person in that group from filmmakers to fangirls and boys to anybody else that <laughs> wants to talk movies so that's find right. us there where can they find you steve on the interwebs and who do you write for again on the I write for 25 years later, uh, Dan Fine uh, TV and Cinema. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram. I said Facebook like I'm from West Virginia. Well, I am from West Virginia. It's Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. It's all there. And um, I write for them. And I am also was promoted to assistant horror editor, and uh, which has been a blast. Um, we've got a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on there trying to expand. Hey, congratulations. You can find me there. You can also just – Thank you. You can also just follow my personal feed as well. I just mostly try to share movie news of all kinds and uh, just uh, let people talk about it and kind of get together and talk about movies or whatever. So, yeah, that's me. All right. So we'll we'll come back in May and we'll figure out our topic. Maybe I'll have Twin Peaks done by then. I don't know if I will with my big guest. I have a book to read and oh, some yeah. other not, non-horror titles. And a couple of horror titles I've missed. You know, there's a couple of series in there. Yeah. Real talk. You know, especially the one with the little green guy that drops around and drinks a lot. Uh-huh. I haven't seen many of those uh-huh. movies. Hmm, that's a hint there. That guy. Um, that little guy. Uh, that guy. There you go, yeah, people. Yeah, that's my one hint. That's my one hint. So that's anyway. It. That's all you get. So we'll leave you tonight with the theme from uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Terry Gilliam's new movie. And once again, thank you, Steve, for coming on Repo Nerds as usual. Oh, thank you. It was awesome, as always. And thank you to my listeners. And you can always find the Sexy Witches thread on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever, and Spreaker, wherever 
podcasts are available for free and come back next week when we will preview uh, I will recap AwesomeCon and preview my flight and trip to Crypticon Seattle 2019 in the meantime blessed be and good film hunting and good night everyone this is Liz Reboner
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.